Amrita. Bhakti. What does Palestine mean for India? I remember a time when India felt solidarity with Palestine, but it has changed so much today. In light of what's going on in Gaza, uh, we are tuning in for a for a fast and furious episode, and we're going to welcome historian, journalist, and activist Vijay Prashad, who is an expert on this topic, uh, and he, I hope, is going to teach us a little bit about how much this has mutated and shifted over the years. Um, but I mean, growing up, Amrita, did you feel? What was your kind of memory? What do you recall? Was Palestine ever mentioned? You know, was it was it around in our kind of Indian memory? It's a great question, Bhakti. And um, you know, when you really put it that way, I'm thinking during my childhood, I all I only re recall images, or you know, I would watch Doordarshan. Um, as, and these images of Yasser Arafat with uh, Indira Gandhi yeah. and uh, celebratory moments, right? You know, um, Arafat coming to India and I remember garlands on Arafat and smiling with Gandhi. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, he even called her a sister. So that yeah. that's what I recall as a child. Yeah. And of course, later on, to come to learn about the history, I always felt that it was more of like an anti-colonial um, solidarity with Palestine, sure, which sure, sure. changed. What do you think, Bhakti? Do you recall things from your childhood yeah, about I mean, Palestine relations? I think when I, when as you know, as I was preparing and thinking about this episode that we're recording, I I don't recall the word Israel. I do remember Palestine. And of course, I have the same, we are the same age. So I do have the same memory, which is uh, Indira Gandhi. Uh, and I think either uh, he gave her a peck on his on her cheek or something. And there was all this talk, you know, oh my goodness, was it a kiss? Was it a peck? I don't know. But um, I do remember those images. And I remember a very positive kind of understanding of whatever that was, you know. Yes. Whatever yeah. that was, it felt positive. Right. And uh, that's why it's sort of shocking now when you think India has been at the center of kind of disinformation and pro-Israeli politics and, you know, so anti-Palestinian. It's, it's really shocking to me. Mm. Uh, that said, there is a kind of 25-year gap of my being an adult that mm. I'm ignoring where really my knowledge of Palestine solidifies because I happened to be in New York during 9-11. I actually saw the second plane hit the tower. And yeah, you know, I mean, it was, and it was crazy, crazy times. But what, what was poignant is that it was an educational moment for many of us. I was, many people like me, South Asians, were immediately taken to be Muslims. They were taken to be public enemies. And we were constantly, you know, in these horrible arguments and debates. And I fell in with a group of poets and scholars, activists who cared deeply about Palestine. And I learned a lot then, and it has been a very important, um, you know, place for me. You know, I've been there once, you know, I, you know, it's been an important place culturally, politically, and, mm -hmm. kind of, and, it's, and it remains, I think, a litmus test for, mm -hmm people who like want to understand history a particular way or who want to absolutely ignore oppression and colonialism and so on, you know? 
Right. Yeah, I think it's a deep connection. But Bhakti, I mean, I'm interested in what you just said. I happened to be in New Jersey at that time too, and I do recall vividly what was happening in those times, uh, South Asians in that fraught place, um, yeah. and constantly having to justify something, right? Um, but you know, I'm also thinking, you know, we work, we both of us are students of colonialism or work and research on colonial histories, yeah. and yet, you know, it'll be fascinating to know what shifted. In, Absolutely. in the last 30 years or so or more. Uh, but you mentioned that you have been to Palestine. T tell, yes. tell us about, because I have, you know, my stakes in this, I want to learn more and I want to know what sure. you felt what you saw there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just very quickly to go back to that 9-11 moment and the 22 years now that have mm -hmm. passed since then. I think, isn't it weird that we both recall how South Asians were kind of, taken to be like terror suspects and all these horrible things were happening. And instead of it moving the needle like it did for me, which was mm -hmm. that it made me more, you know, pro-Palestinian or in your case, made you want to understand Kashmir and Palestine and those relations. Absolutely. We have officially entered this discourse where we have become, India has become officially anti, you know, and mm -hmm. it has just gone into the same disgusting Islamophobia and anti-Muslim sentiment, you know, it has gone into this terrorism, whatever mm -hmm. discourse. So right. it, it's a very strange turn, you know, and it brings us back to this idea of the litmus test. Uh, well, because I ran for many years and I co-founded the magazine Warscapes, uh, I was uh, invited to be part of the Palestine Literature Festival, which is a mobile festival. And it's mainly in the West Bank, because at least at the time I went, um, Gaza had been blockaded off. And basically, they, they take a bunch of writers, editors, uh, scholars around um, the wonderful people who do Palfest, it's called. And they take writers around to various towns. So we went to, you know, we came via the Jordan border, landed up in, in, in Ramallah, then in East Jerusalem, we were in Bethlehem, um, we were in Nablus, we were in Hebron, and you do events every night that the public comes for, um, and you kind of also gain a sense of a uh, little bit of the daily life, as much as we are in like a luxury bus, you know. Sure. So, no, it was, it was, it was extraordinary, and it immediately, you know, 48 hours, and it radicalizes you. You don't even wow. need 48 hours. You, you know, we waited like seven hours or something at the at the entry from Jordan into Palestine. And that itself is a crazy learning experience, how people are treated, what's going on. You know, some there was a member in our in our group who was from Gaza and he mm -hmm. wasn't allowed in. You know, they beamed pictures of his family. He was taken in for an interview and they said, oh, really? You say you're from England, but actually you're from Gaza. And wow. they believed him and they didn't let him in. You know, so oh. the, the 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 journey begins right there, you know. Right. So right. and it, it 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 really radicalizes you. It's very shocking. The checkpoints mm -hmm. are shocking. The soldiers everywhere are shocking. The place where the dogs are coming at you are shocking. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's awful. It is it is a one hundred percent. It's an occupation, and I've been to other places that are not occupations, but that are you know a dictatorship. I've been to Syria mm -hmm. or Eritrea, but uh, this is different. This is active. This is active apartheid, and it's mm -hmm. intense to watch it in action. Right, right. Uh, Bhakti, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, um, which is, you know, this kind of 
anti-terror, certainly Islamophobic uh, tendency or yeah. not even tendency right now that we're looking in India's relationship with Palestine and how it has shifted and changed. But I do wonder, and I'm hoping that, you know, we will um, get to hear Vijay's take on this, that is it the official discourse that has changed and on the streets or within cultural memory and people do have a solidarity still? And, you know, that would be really important to know, right? Yeah. And then I am also wondering, you know, maybe we can shift our gaze to what is actually happening right now and how do we piece together? It's like a helpless, gruesome space we are in constantly. And it's been more than a month. And how do we go on? I know we're coming into two months. And as we're recording this, I think if the listeners want to know, this is the fourth day of the ceasefire. Uh, it has, they have only been allowed, um, and there are negotiations going on to extend the ceasefire, but we don't know. Uh, there is such an extraordinary savagery in the air. You know, there is such a sense of like, um, I think we feel helpless. The people who, are you know, are watching this, are witness, we feel helpless. I think not just because it is so relentless. They're saying there are, it's an equivalent of two nuclear bombs that has fallen on, on Gaza. And we are looking at an official death toll of 14,000, out of which 50% are children. And the average age of the child is five years old. I mean, what is this? What is this? And despite this information, and I know world opinion is shifting, young people are saying, no, let's not, let's, let's not just watch this. And I know activism has been extraordinary and immense. There is still this savagery in the air and it's the sort of... It's going on, right? Yeah, there is this kind of a desire like that the US is perpetrating, the UK is perpetrating, that is so acute. And you know, as you know now, the, our great US vice president is uh, half Indian. Uh, Rishi Sonak has Indian heritage. I mean, it just, I just can't help but feel like the Indian sticks in this mean something, you know? What, what, why, why, why are, why are these people, you know, allowing this, giving aid, you know? changing the narrative, reframing the narrative as if history began on October 7th and not in 1948. It's, it's, it's impossible and it is terrorizing. And I know many, you, me, we all losing sleep over it. It's just absurd to witness. I don't know what to say, you know? You know, and you know, as mothers, I, I know you have kids and I, I was just thinking as mothers, how do we gain an understanding or even if we can to, the images that we're seeing on our phones, you know, this is a mass slaughter that we're seeing on our phones daily. And that's beyond a certain kind of, uh, how do I even put it? It's beyond words right now, what we're visualizing, right? I mean, earlier we would at least hear about the war here or there, and now we're visualizing this every day. And that's a huge difference. Yeah. I was speaking with somebody in New Jersey, an old friend, and uh, she's Palestinian. Um, mm -hmm. She has a young son. And um, every time I ask, I'm hesitant to even ask how she's because she has family in Palestine. And there, there are no words to speak even. Yeah. What failed us right now? She probably feels guilt as well. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just at this point, communication is over tears. Yeah. That's yeah. the sad part, right? I know. 
No, it's awful. But tell me, I know you have a book coming out. It's going to be on Kashmir. Uh, and, you know, you're very connected to uh, folks there. Um, is that where... Is that where the Palestinian solidarity is left? That is that where we can find it? I know officially it like doesn't exist. Hmm. I don't think the mainstream media has been good about it. You know, I don't know where to locate it anymore. I don't necessarily know if it shows up in in shows or books and things like that culturally. Is is do we locate? Has it whittled down? Is it is the concentration of the relationship between India and Palestine, is the, is the place to look for it, is it Kashmir, do you think? That's a hard question again, Bhakti. I think um, with what I've seen, I, I would answer it in two different ways. One is Kashmir. I, I would be really interested to know when this kind of solidarity began, because there is, right? I mean, Kashmiri scholars definitely, and you know, uh, within the protests that I have followed so keenly in Kashmir, um, and I write about resistance politics in Kashmir. Um, in fact, Wire India had done a very interesting article some time ago talking about um, protests on the streets that mm -hmm. had posters visually saying, um, with our brothers and sisters, um, of, from Palestine, so there are there is this collective solidarity, right? Yeah. But is it just located? I am not very sure. I mean, you know, I would hope there is yeah. more than just Kashmir, but you know, it's an interesting question to look for whether there's this growing um, sort of network of solidarity between Kashmir and Palestine since the inception or the problems that began in 1947, 48 per se. Right. But also culturally, you know. Both of us, we also look at cultural production and Bollywood as these hegemonic sources of what comes out from India. And yeah. only today, I think I heard um, there's just kind of a lone voice from Bollywood uh, from a um, award ceremony where mm -hmm. uh, a young actress who won the OTD um, Best Actor Award, um, mm -hmm. um, I think her name is... Rajesh, Rajeshri Deshpande, I think that's her name. Um, and, you know, she came out um, having a certain kind of uh, tribute and support for mm -hmm. Gaza, Palest Palestinians, and the war that is happening for the last one and a half, almost two months. Yeah. And um, besides that, I don't think I've heard any kind of solidarity networks. And probably, um, I probably am wrong. I think the great Zina Taman had come out and said something. Oh, really? Him. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really wonderful. And yeah. then, of course, we know the ones who will always say the right thing, you know, people like Arunati Roy and so on. Right. But, um, right. yeah, you know, but, yeah, in general, it's been pretty, it's been pretty poor. Uh, of course, what was heartwarming was that uh, protester <laughs> oh uh, who showed up at the at the World Cup, and I was uh, I was glad to see it. You know, I whatever the it. outcome, I was glad I was glad yeah. to see it. Whoever he was, I think there was a there was a moment there that was uh, super yeah. interesting. You know, he just came on the on the screen like that. But yes. I am seeing Vijay in the in the studio, Amrita. So we are going to ask him all these questions and yeah. remember to ask him about Kashmir because I'm curious as well. Me too. I'm very curious too. Yeah. Hi, Vijay. Yeah. Hi, yes. Welcome. Welcome to the Welcome. studio. Thanks. Yeah, it's such a it's such a fraught moment and we're watching this kind of horrific violence unfolding in Gaza. And I know that you've been writing about it, posting about it, and the whole world seems to be going along with all this butchery. And we wanted to do a, like a Fast and Furious episode where you can sort of 
walk us through the history um, of India and Palestine uh, for The Wire. I think there's a lot of sort of spoken history, casual history, but maybe more of an expert opinion. And I think before you came in, Amrita and I were talking about how when we were younger, it felt like Palestine meant something. You know, it was recognized by India. Uh, there was support. There was solidarity. So maybe we can start by having you walk us through this history of solidarity and support between India and Palestine. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting that we're talking about this um, in the context of India in particular, um, mm -hmm. largely because, um, you know, uh, there has been a worldwide wave of condemnation of what's happening, particularly in the global south. India, the government of India seems a little bit of an outlier here. Um, you know, the South African government um, has yeah. called for the expulsion of the ambassador um, in Indonesia. There were massive demonstrations. Most of Latin American countries very much against what the Israelis are doing to the Palestinians in Gaza. India seems a little bit like an outlier here, the Indian government. Mm -hmm. And India has, in a way, been an outlier since the early 1990s. Um, you know, I, I first got interested in the question of Palestine when I saw a newspaper uh, have a photograph of, um, of the massacres in Sabra and Shatila in 1982. I was a young person, very interested in, in international events and so on. And I always say that I started as a journalist um, from having looked at that photograph of a woman looking at a right. bunch of bodies on the ground, you know, trying to identify perhaps her child and so on. Um, so, you know, at that time in 1982, that was a high point when um, India and, and, and Palestine had a close relationship. Um, it was at that time that um, the Indian government, for instance, treated the Palestinian Liberation Organization as a government in exile. And right. Yasser Arafat used to routinely come to New Delhi. Um, in fact, he used to call Indira Gandhi my sister, um, you know, because India provided diplomatic support uh, for the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's true that in 1948, India did recognize Israel, but didn't normalize the relationship fully. Uh, and didn't normalize the relationship fully, largely because of the experience of the formation of India. India mm -hmm. was formed out of a struggle, an anti-colonial struggle. Uh, Indians at the time were well aware of the kind of mendacity of the British imperialists. Um, they saw what was happening in Palestine from the 1930s. I mean, Gandhi writes about uh, Palestine in the 1930s after the Great Bolt of 1937-38, he sees what, you know, it is, which is, you know, an attempt to colonize the lands of the Palestinian people. And so the Indian government has a kind of close position with the Palestinians based on a common anti-colonial history. And in fact, from 1948, the Nakba, the great catastrophe, when Palestinians were removed from their homes, Indians actually play a role on the ground as peacekeepers. I mean, people oh, really? should know that the United Nations was really formed in Palestine. You know, the UN is created in 1945 um, in San Francisco and so on. But most of the UN agencies um, come to life around the so-called question of Palestine. You know, 
the UN Refugee and Works Agency, UNRWA, which is now effectively the Palestinian Agency, the Refugees Agency, and, and others. Um, they, you know, UNICEF, they, they, they come through the cauldron of trying to deal with this catastrophe of 1948. And Indian troops go to Gaza as peacekeepers. I was very interested, you know, Nehru visits Gaza in 1956. Um, and he flies into Gaza on in uh, on a UN plane, and he meets a uh, Lieutenant Colonel Rikier, who's running, who's in charge of the UN force in Gaza. He's a very in the Rikier was a very distinguished Indian military officer, seconded to several international conflicts. Um, and there he was in Gaza. And Nehru meets him, meets the troops, and so on. Sees the situation in Gaza as Nehru's uh, UN plane takes off from Gaza City. Those are the days, by the way, when Gaza had an airport. I mean, it's really hard to imagine Gaza with an airport. You know, his plane takes off. And as he leaves uh, the um, airport's, um, you know, airspace, two Israeli fighter jets come and they go on both sides of the plane. And Nehru later says that they tried to bring my plane down. In fact, Nehru flies to Beirut, Lebanon, gives a speech at the American University of Beirut, doesn't mention this at all because he, he's interested in, you know, diplomatic solutions. But when he gets back to India, he goes to parliament. And in parliament, he makes a speech essentially saying that the Israeli government tried to kill the Indian prime minister. He says that in parliament. And it's a moment that's often forgotten in the storyline. Um, but Israel and India have a very tense relationship in the 50s, in the 60s, as India gives deepened uh, political diplomatic support to the mm -hmm. Palestinian Liberation Organization. It's important to keep emphasizing this because it's yeah. not just extract support to the Palestinian cause. India supports the Palestinian Liberation Organization and yeah. its range of tactics, which includes armed struggle, um, right up to 1991 when the Soviet Union collapses. Right. Everything changes when the Soviet Union collapses, everything changes, you know, mm -hmm. and I was very interested in, in why the change occurred. Why did India under the Congress party, the prime ministership of PV Narasimha Rao, why did the Congress party full, you know, start full normalization with Israel? As I said, India had already recognized Israel as a member of the United Nations in 1948, which is why Indian troops were in Gaza and so on. It would have been hard if you didn't recognize Israel to participate in the, um, at the time, um, you know, the refugee lands of Gaza. Remember, yeah. this is before Israel conquers Gaza, occupies Gaza in 1967. Um, so you're but, bringing it down to yeah. like neoliberalism and, uh, and you're bringing it down to kind of the end of the Cold War leading to having to shift all relations, like the economic elements. But, you know, I'm also interested well, in the yeah. 1990s. I mean, Bhakti, you're mentioning neoliberal economics and, you know, it's opening up at that time. But also what exactly is happening in the 90s India? Can we pinpoint something? Because, you know, people usually think it's the last 10 years, but it's not, right? Yeah, no, it's not. Well, it's it's there's a couple of interesting things. Firstly, um, the first Israeli prime minister to have an official visit to India was Ariel Sharon in 2003. And when Sharon was going to come to India, and this is after the second intifada, 
the you know the right. really provocative action that uh, general ariel sharon took when he went um to the temple mound and, and provoked the second intifada this is after that when sharon was when we heard sharon is coming to india i wrote a little book called namaste sharon um which is a book which lays out the history of india um you know palestinian and israeli relations and the idea was we were, we produced this book it was published before he came we wanted to throw it at him in the airport um that was the idea uh, didn't turn out exactly like that um so when i was researching that book i talked to a number of people in the ministry of external affairs um former retired bureaucrats and so on and a couple of them told me something really interesting why in 1991 so what they said was when india decided to liberalize to open the economy in fact to open diplomatic channels with the west um they were india the indian government led by pv narasimha rao was very keen to normalize relations with the united states that was actually the real interest normalize relations with the united states that's going to ease things up with the international monetary fund july 1991 um, manmohan singh then the finance minister makes a statement in bangkok uh, all of that they needed the us to be on side well what these bureaucrats told me these people retired from the foreign service is that in 1991 the us government made it very clear to delhi that the road to washington dc has to go through tel aviv if you don't normalize with israel don't have full relations with israel you can't have full relations with us and so the initial move by narasimha rao's government in 1991 92 to have full normalization was basically because of the united states it wasn't you know some direct need to have relations with israel there, there was no interest at the time now mm -hmm. interestingly uh, when the government of atal bihari vajpayee comes in the government of the bjp the nda government the you know democratic alliance when they come in they explode two nuclear bombs um, you will remember in 1998 that yeah. was the second nuclear weapons test that india did well the moment a country which is not a member of the non proliferation treaty india is not a member uh, test nuclear weapons they can't access certain kinds of us weaponry um the pressler amendment kicks in and so on the us senate doesn't allow due to uh, the us companies to sell weapons to uh, scoff laws you know at least for nuclear proliferation anyway that was a problem and the related problem was the collapse of the soviet union meant that the russian arms industry had deteriorated so india couldn't buy arms from russia there simply wasn't the kind of armaments needed india wanted to buy weapons from the us but the 98 nuclear test made that impossible so the deal was that the us arms companies have joint ventures with israeli arms companies in fact the big israeli company israeli um, you know um, um, military company that makes weapons is basically in collaboration with raytheon and these other us companies well um, given that the indians could then import us grade weaponry from israel which is why very quickly india became the largest importer in the world of israeli weapons that's because they actually wanted to uh, import us weapons under the congress therefore the whole tie and then the vajpay government the whole tie with israel was actually a kind of masquerade for an actual tie with the united states it was not really israel 
things do change in the 2000s um when the vajpayee government comes back into power after the 13 day run when uh, lal krishnan advani is the home yeah. minister um then linkages start with israeli intelligence or actually deepen with israeli intelligence to deal with for instance how to um put down say the rebellion in kashmir um that becomes an issue uh, for the advani home ministry and he goes yeah. to tel aviv he has pretty public meetings with israeli intelligence with israeli internal affairs which is basically the occupation ministry you know effectively and takes lessons from them to bring back to india that, that was all on the record there's nothing it was nothing secret in fact advani gave a talk at the indian embassy in tel aviv where he basically laid this out that you know we have things in common um, also you know advani was a little more slightly more sophisticated than some of the current lot of people in the indian government but basically the thing was we have a joint ideological view you know this anti muslim anti terror kind of uh, conflation of muslim and terror and so on and and this brings us together but that's from around the 2000s and it's in that context that sharon yeah. visits india in 2003 you know cementing some of those those tendencies but but just to wrap this part of it up i mean yeah. the fact is that the opening in in 1991 92 is so much about pragmatic connections between india and the united states you know which needed this israeli connection and then the decade later in the 2000s a more programmatic linkage develops which sure. is around you know the link between hindutva or at least what they see as the link between hindutva and zionism right yet modi gets this medal from mahmud abbas in uh, 2012 or something like that or 2014 i don't remember the date um i think you know what i'm hearing is that there is the official and then the word you used was masquerade and that there is like there, there is the sort of imagined relationship with palestine there's the official business one must do with israel and then there is you know there is something else that remains maybe of anti colonial solidarities even though there are generational shifts and i think we see more and more that young people maybe don't see themselves in india as part of an anti colonial ethos but more of like empire making you know uh, whether it's the hindutva whatever these ideologies that are in the air um where do you locate this relationship with palestine like i think officially it's almost too far gone in some way especially now but where you know where else are we seeing kind of like a nice version of solidarity with, with palestine is it like does it remain culturally do you see it how do you feel the coverage has been you know of gaza um these days i don't know i think it's still there i guess is yeah. what i'm trying to get at Well, well the first thing to say is that you know um the palestinian authority led by mahmud abbas um is desperate for for allies i mean they yeah, have felt yeah. extremely isolated and and sure. so on and and you know india has in this period had a relation with palestine there is yeah. a formal relationship during the pandemic for instance india provides assistance uh, to the palestinian authority um right. you know you know when you go into the ministry of external affairs in new delhi um lots of the people themselves come out of a let's call it for better word a kind of neruvian understanding of the world non alignment and so on and they continue to hold the view that india should 
have a balanced approach between Israel and the Palestinians. Now, I don't know what a balanced approach means. I don't think there's a there's room anymore for balance, given the nature of of, of this conflict and so on. Where's the balance, you know? Yeah. But nonetheless, this does remain. Now, it's interesting what you say. I, I think there's a there is a new mood that's developed in India around yeah. the world, around India's attitude to the world. One of the salient features of that is the importance of Indian national interests. And here Modi reflects that, you know, that Indian yeah. national interests are important. In, you know, India doesn't want to tail the United States any longer. So, for instance, um, you know, in the same period, India has refused to follow the U.S. line on Ukraine. And the Indian foreign ministry has been pretty blunt, saying, you know, don't tell us what to do. We have our own views of, of the, the world. At the G20 meeting, India refused to allow a discussion of Ukraine um, to be on the table. So it's in this context that the national interest narrative is very strong. And I think here, you know, we know now, given this, this national interest narrative and the, the way in which the Indian government leaders and their followers talk, um, they don't see the link in with Israel in a pragmatic sense anymore. This is not just a door to the U.S. Because that was at a time when India was willing to say we are a subordinate ally of the United right. States. You know, mm -hmm. we are willing to take orders from Washington. Now we're not willing to. We have an independent relationship with Tel Aviv. It's more the programmatic linkage that's there. And which is why I would say that right now uh, inside India, because of the political polarization um, that exists, the followers of the BJP, the kind of Hindutva wing, have a fundamentally uh, close, intimate relationship with this, with Israel. You know, they are the ones going on the street with Israeli flags or filling social media with India loves Israel and so on. Yeah. But at the same time, because of the polarization, the opposition forces are on the other side. I mean, I was interested despite the fact that the Congress party has been rather vacillating in public, um, you know, um, the great-granddaughter, the uh, let's see now, the granddaughter, great-granddaughter of Jawaharlal Nehru, um, you know, came out yeah. there and, and tweeted in support of the Palestinians, you know, and she is, I don't know, I think she's the president of the Congress party or something. I've forgotten her exact position. Um, but other sections of the opposition, because... You see, they don't have a programmatic relationship with Zionism, unlike Hindutva. Um, yeah. And they don't need to have a pragmatic relationship with Israel because India is now positioning itself as a pole of its own, not needing to be subordinate to anybody. So the opposition actually has been quite interesting on this mm -hmm. conflict. Um, you know, but at the same time, so all almost all opposition parties have condemned the left in the lead, you know, without a doubt leading mass rallies and so on. Um, mm. the left parties have, have, have unequivocally condemned um, the slaughter in Gaza. But the media is different um, because your question went from all that yeah. to the media. Yeah. The media is different. The media has been appalling on Palestine for at least a decade. Um, I mean, long before Gautam Adani took over New Delhi television, NDTV, long before that, um, the coverage of um, of Israel and Palestine has been appalling. During mm -hmm. the bombing of 2014, for instance, it was Indian TV person personnel in um, in Gaza uh, who went there, by the way, 
using contacts that I had given them, uh, they filmed a one rocket being fired from near a hotel, which then Benjamin Netanyahu used he used the footage of an Indian TV crew to say, "Look, Hamas is using is firing rockets from near hotels. That's why we bomb hotels." Um, in fact, that was one rocket, and it was a group three fellows who ran out there with a what looked like a, a you know a mortar launcher um, and fired a rocket. Um, but the Indian media has been appalling. I mean, if I was a journalist and I got that footage, I would need to try to contextualize it, understand what it is. Are those Hamas fighters? Um, is it common for fighters to use civilian structures to fire from? Are there places where you don't have civilian structures in Gaza? You know, um, where, where you can. I mean, Gaza is superbly congested. Every time I go there, I'm, I just can't understand how anybody yeah. bombs that place because you drop a bomb anywhere and you're going to kill a lot of civilians. It's extremely mm -hmm. congested in the cities, in the the, the habitations. There are mm -hmm. places where there's where there's no people. I mean, there's 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 empty space. But yeah. there's nobody there. There's no target. There's no person. Nobody's going to drop a bomb on an empty field, you know. So yeah. Indian media, I think, has lost the. I think mainstream. I think. I think I was getting at the idea of like, yeah, I agree. I went to media, but I think yeah, mainstream media has generally been appalling, without a doubt. But like, you know, I don't know. Are we? I don't know where to look anymore. But but I know that it exists. You know. I know. I, yeah. Go ahead, Amrita. I was thinking, Bhakti, when you're saying that, you know, maybe somewhere culturally it exists. And I'm thinking what Vijay, you said earlier about Kashmir, right? I mean, what does, there is the, the, the solidarity between Kashmir and Palestine. What does Palestine really symbolize for Kashmir? Because the timelines are so close to each other. Um, I was reading that Kashmiris cannot protest for, in support of Palestine on the streets. And yet, obviously, you spoke about um, Israeli uh, support on the streets of India. Has this kind of solidarity for um, between Kashmir and Palestine always been there? And also, I'm thinking yeah. the flip side of this, does this support for Palestine kind of lend its credibility for the Kashmir struggle also? Well, the first thing is um, most protests around India um, for the Palestinians have been either demonized or, or prohibited. So yeah. it's not just in Kashmir. Um, secondly, all protest is basically off the cards in Kashmir. I mean, has been mm -hmm. since the abrogation of 370 yeah. and, and the, the liquidation of the states of Jammu and Kashmir. So it's not a right. specific thing. I mean, they just are not True. allowed to be on the street or if they're on the street, it's dangerous. The yes. biggest protests in India for Palestine have all been in Kerala. And I would like to say that it's in fact in Kerala where the highest level of pro-Palestinian support has been incubated. I just made a video, for instance, um, which included a bunch of uh, artists, you know, film stars, musicians and so on in Kerala um, who, who wanted to make a public video in support with Palestine. These are mainstream, um, you know, musicians and, and film stars and so on in the Malayalam film and, and cultural industry. Kerala is in the lead, and that's because of the left culture in Kerala. Um, yeah. You know, it plays a major role. Um, in Kashmir, this is interesting what you say. You know, um, I don't feel always the um, urge to make the comparison directly because there's a lot that differentiates the two um, the two struggles. I mean, it's true that there was a, um, you know, a intifada kind of situation, or inkilab movement in 1987, 
well the first intifada was 89 i mean i know this timeline that's there but mm. there are lots of timelines that are similar you know um that 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 don't um you know establish the connection um now the issue with kashmir is interesting is it's more that the particularly the right wing government has used israeli surveillance technologies and so called protest fighting technologies um in kashmir which they borrowed or bought from the israelis in fact mossad operated in srinagar um to help the indian intelligence and so on um it's actually the the the, the collusion <laughs> is more from above than from below um you know in other words the israeli um repressive apparatus was imported by the indian government to kashmir that was actually much more proximate connection um mm. on the ground I, i don't i think often it's exaggerated overseas to be honest with you i don't mm. think the yeah, maybe we are looking at it from the intellectuals or like the scholars who want that who crave it those but, but yet yeah, i do so see on social media and i do see uh, not just scholars people on the streets also are supporting uh, palestinian yeah uh, you know That's solidarity true, but yeah it's yeah. true but i think there is that kind of support all over the country small gatherings here and there and so on i think the political formations in kashmir aren't especially uh, you know uh, out there for palestine i, I don't think there's mm-hmm. a there's a generalized or special connection um yeah. you know i i think you know the 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 dmk for instance in tamil nadu had a very strong statement about palestine um you know which was may have even been stronger than some of the forces in kashmir for whatever reason maybe they feel less confident to say things in public and so on but they say a lot of very confident things you know uh, the kashmiri yeah. forces um i think it's a little exaggerated to to be Maybe. honest with you i i feel like like it's an important connection but mm. again from above not necessarily yeah. from below right well we are all running out of time so we we have to talk about what happened at the world cup you know <laughs> uh that that sweet protester who ran over and you know he was just he was a solo guy but it was just like it was a it was a protest heard around the world it was the highlight of the final it was the highlight right <laughs> well it depends what whether you're interested in cricket or not um uh, what other highlights not as much not as much the protest was australian which is important yes. to point out he was australian uh, no, no it's, it's nothing like that but but it was interesting to see the the reaction of the players on the on the field um Kohli just looks surprised and and so on um yeah. you know these things happen and people are protesting i mean partly this violence in gaza that the israelis are perpetuating is so grotesque um no amount of israeli propaganda can prevent the outrage of billions of people i mean billions of people are pissed off they they just they are not accepting what the israelis are saying and what's so interesting is old footage of the kind of indignity of the occupation is resurfacing on social media you know i just saw yesterday footage from beth salem taken in 2016 about where two israeli soldiers were telling the palestinians you can't walk on this road you have to walk on that road you know that there are is you know jewish only roads and there's palestinian roads and people have put that together with some clip no, from I a film that. where a nazi you know officer says to a jew you can't walk on the street and so on 
But those old images are resurfacing now. Why? Because people are angry and people who hadn't seen them before, hadn't noticed the indignity of the occupation, they are being awoken. Um, new yeah. generations are being radicalized, including in India, including in India. You know, you can't fly the Israeli flag. You can't make a big enough Israeli flag to cover all the atrocities the Israelis are conducting in Gaza. You can't scream Israel loud enough to prevent the sound of those children from coming to your ears. You know, those days are over. And I think the BJP is going to find, you know, with the uh, with the BRICS statement being crafted, uh, the Chinese taking leadership in this, India is going to feel itself isolated in BRICS, even BRICS 11, the BRICS plus from January, is going to find itself isolated on this issue. So I don't think Modi should sleep content at night thinking yeah. I've done a masterstroke here with the way yeah. I've, I've you know handled this war. I think yeah. that masterstroke with so many of, my, of Modi's masterstroke is going to come back to, to haunt him. And this yeah. time, maybe literally, with the lives of about 15,000, 20,000 Palestinians. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you very much. I think that's where the where we love the we love the cricket protester because it was the Modi Stadium and all that hype, you know, all this stuff he's building up. So it was it was a fun subversion, momentary but charming. And it worked. <laughs> and it so worked. Much. Thank you. Thanks Ajay. a lot. We'll be back on The Wire next week with another question, another exciting guest, and more conversation.